revealed in the Dominion case has not only been used, of course, by Smartmatic coming up in New York, uh, relying on discovery information, facts and information, texts and emails that were developed in Delaware and filed in that case. But now shareholders, stockholders of Fox Corporation, a Delaware corporation, have sued Rupert Murdoch, Lachlan Murdoch, the independent directors and the company in two different types of cases, both pending in Delaware Chancery Court. The Fox News and Dominion case that we talked about a lot was in the Superior Court, which is across the street and deals with money damages. Things that happen in the Chancery Court are both money damage case, but also allow the judge, always a judge, to make a decision as to whether the board of directors and the officers and directors of Fox and Fox Corporation, meaning the Murdochs and the independent board of directors, have breached their fiduciary duties, duties of care, duties of loyalty, duties of oversight that are owed by these stewards of the company to the shareholder by the way they handled or mishandled and defamed Dominion, Smartmatic and others and perpetuated the big lie every night in, in 2020 on the Fox channels. That's the issue that's up for grabs. So, and this is going for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars on top of what's already been paid to Dominion, on top of the 2.7 billion that Smartmatic is seeking in a New York courthouse. Let's unpack what's going on down in Delaware. The way these Delaware cases start is that the plaintiff's lawyers and the shareholders, actual shareholders, their own stock in Fox Corporation, will file, or actually will serve the Fox Corporation, the corporation, with what's known in Delaware as a 220 demand. The 220 demand under the Delaware Code gives shareholders, any shareholder, the right to look at books and records of the company. So they made a books and records demand they coupled that with all of the information that came out of the Dominion summary judgment filings against Fox. All of those texts, all of those emails, all of those video clips. They combined the two together, and two different groups have now filed suit. One is a direct action, a class action, and the other a derivative action. I'll cover both now. In the direct action, you're suing the corporation directly for damages that you or your class, a group of people that are similarly situated, have suffered. So you claim that there has been a, a diminution, a drop in the stock price at the time, after the time that you bought, and or a drop in the enterprise value, the value of the company since you made your investment, since you bought your share. And all you have to do to have standing to bring this kind of suit is to own one share. One share at the time of the stock drop, uh, value drop, or otherwise, you can bring that case. And so plaintiff's lawyers that work in and around Delaware find shareholders to bring this type of suit, right? Sometimes it's a suit in search of a shareholder, and they found their shareholders. And they're arguing based on the Dominion revelations this, uh, that are now in, in the public record, the public domain, that um, Fox, it's... Uh, corporate officers, including the Murdochs, their board of directors, and the independent 
members of the board, the ones that are supposed to even have even a heightened duty of independent fiduciary responsibility to shareholders, they breached their duty. They didn't properly provide oversight because they allowed the lies to continue in order to pump up ratings, pump up profits that were improper. And if now their argument would be have now that it's come to light, have hit the bottom line of Fox. It's now worth less after paying Dominion, after the Smartmatic lawsuit filing. It's worth less than it was before. Not just the almost 900 or $800 million paid to Dominion, but the future payments, the past payments, the damage to the brand for future uh, for, for the future uh, investment, future expansion of the business. That's their argument. That's a direct suit. And if they win a direct suit for these types of claims against the board and against the Murdochs and against the company, then they get a damage award that the judge approves in Delaware, a portion of which, of course, goes to the lawyers and the rest goes to the class as distributed to the class. This could be a billion or billions of dollar direct action against Fox that just got off the ground in April. Now let's take a quick break to talk about our next sponsor, Paired. My wife and I, we're super competitive people, especially with each other. The other day we were going back and forth about, well, who knew our relationship history better? So we took to Paired. Paired, it's a relationship app for couples. You and your partner, you download the app, pair together, and every day Paired gives you questions, quizzes, and games to have fun, stay connected, and deepen your conversations. You'll never believe what I found out about my partner through using Paired. Apparently, she really wanted to start playing pickleball. Now, I had no idea. The Paired prompt asked her what was something she wanted to start doing this month. She said, pickleball, and now we're in a weekly game with our neighbors. It's simple and often hilarious. Each day, you get a quiz to play or a question to answer, and you can't see your partner's answer until you answer yourself. Every day using Paired. A happier relationship starts here. Now let's look at the other suit that's competing for the attention of the Delaware Chancery Court and for the money that Fox has. And that's a derivative action. The difference between a direct and a derivative action is the derivative action, the the plaintiff is suing on behalf of the company. Suing on behalf of the company to have money returned to it from the officers, from the directors, from the owners, from the fiduciaries for all of the bad things that Fox did to allow the lies against Smartmatic and Dominion to go unabated on on television to pump up ratings and revenue. It's similar to the direct case, except in a derivative case, again, you're bringing it on behalf of the company, in the company's name, after you've either made a demand on the independent directors to bring the suit themselves, which of course they often do not do, and if that happens, it's called futility. If they're not going, if it's unlikely that they're going to bring a suit against themselves, then the plaintiff argues that it is futile to make a demand on them to do so, and that you can go directly to court and not wait around to see what Fox is going to do next. And that's what's happened in this new derivative case. There, the damages are similar, but the where they go are different. In a derivative case, the money goes back to the company to get, uh, then get redistributed, if you will, to the investors because the enterprise value increases of the company because more money has come into the company's treasury. 
the direct case, as I said, damages go to the plaintiff's derivative case. The damages or the money goes back to the company's coffers. Where does it come from? It comes from the director and officer liability insurance policies. In both cases, Fox carries hundreds of millions of dollars of stacked insurance with multiple insurance, reinsurance uh, companies that are spreading the risk and this will be covered by insurance. That's why plaintiff's lawyers go after these kind of cases, because they are insured. There's money. There's a pot of money. Now, this pot of money, whether it's hundreds of millions of dollars, usually, if I had a guess here, I think there's at least 500 to a billion dollars worth of coverage for Fox, given the size of the company and the risk. That is money that would be available to both the class action plaintiffs and their lawyers and the derivative action uh, plaintiffs and their lawyers. And one person that's sort of in the middle of all this, um, wh who's named in one suit but not the other, is former Speaker of the House Republican um, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan has been on the board of Fox for quite some time. What? And no I know what they're trying to do here. Wow. They're trying to go after Paul Ryan in order to convince him, based on his legacy and how he feels about himself, and he's never been a Trumper that um, his deposition will be powerful and he'll put pressure on the board and the company and the insurance companies and the policy, the ones that have issued the policy, to pay up on these class action and derivative actions. What could it mean? Well, let's do the math. You have 780 almost million dollars paid to Dominion. You've got 2.7 billion in a case pending in New York. Now that case is probably not gonna go to trial for another couple of years, because that's how things move in New York, but there's exposure there. It is a likely loss for Fox. They'll, they'll have to disclose that to their shareholders in their public filings, that they're likely to lose the Smartmatic case the way they just lost the Dominion case. If they pay Smartmatic 50 cents on the dollar, that's another billion dollars. So now you're at $1.8 billion. Then you've got these cases for half a billion to a billion dollars a piece. Suddenly the $4.1 billion of cash and warrants that Fox has on hand doesn't seem like it's enough, but then you add in the insurance coverage, which could be another half a billion dollars. Either way, it is a hit, tremendous hit. There's no, no two ways about it to the balance sheet of Fox, therefore hitting its value as a company and ultimately to its shareholders. And that is the purpose of these lawsuits down in Delaware, suing hey, them, suing them the down. board, suing the ownership for breach of fiduciary of duty and breach of a duty of proper oversight to be proper stewards January of the public 6, money, of the shareholder money in due course. So this is what we're going to continue to follow on Legal AF, the podcast on Wednesdays and Saturdays that I co-anchor on the Midas Touch Network. I do hot takes like this on really interesting and important litigation matters at the intersection of law and politics, politically charged litigation matters about every day. If you like what I'm doing here, give me a thumbs up on the video. And you can follow me on all things social media at MS Popak. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF reporting. Lock him up. Indictment season is upon us. Celebrate with the new indictment season t-shirt and v-neck exclusively at store.midastouch.com.
Kevin McCarthy plan to unleash hell on America's finally exposed. Folks, Kevin McCarthy has just proposed one of the most radical and dangerous bills that I, I think I have ever seen because he intends to stick with it. It is so radical and insane that it has brought together people like, uh, let, let me read you this tweet. Um, it's from Bill Crystal. If you don't know who Bill Crystal is, he's a guy that appeared on Fox News daily for years. I mean, this guy is as far right as it gets. Um, but he's quoting E.J. Dion in a piece that E.J. Dion did for the Washington Post and agreeing with him. I mean, that, that's how radical this bill is. It has literally got the left of the left and the right of the right singing the same tune. Let me read this to you. The president's position is reasonable. Talking about President Biden. Enough Republicans, he says, should join with Democrats to raise the debt ceiling for spending that has already happened. Huh. We're going to talk about the debt ceiling here a little bit more in a minute. The cap, after all, was suspended three times when Trump was president without much fuss. That's a quote from E.J. Dion posted by Bill Crystal on Twitter. It's just, it, it really is, you've got to take in for a second that that is how radical this is. You've got those two people singing the same song. Uh, if you don't know what's going on, it's debt ceiling time. Um, we, it has nothing to do with the budget. It has nothing to do with our spending. It's a law that was put in place years ago. And I would suggest to you, because it's one of the best, best explanations of the debt ceiling that I've ever seen. Uh, one of the other contributors to Midas, uh, politics girl, Lee McGowan, did a piece on the debt ceiling, what it is, how it came about, and why it just makes no sense today. Uh, and she's absolutely right on that, because here we are again. It's debt ceiling time, and the Republicans are using it in a way that, well, our forefathers never could have imagined it being used. They're blackmailing the country. They're blackmailing the country. They are not negotiating in good faith over legislation that they, you know, that they believe in, that they would like to come together with Democrats and pass. No. They're threatening to destroy our country if we don't give them our way. That's a terrorist, folks. That is a terrorist. Yep. Well, Kevin McCarthy has proposed a bill to raise the debt ceiling that includes an across-the-board 22% cut in spending. Now, if you don't understand why that's so radical, let me just give It's caused people to put pen to paper together to explain to you exactly what that means. You know, this is, this is from Allison Jane, and she's... Under her Twitter handle, Mueller, she wrote, love her. If you're not no. following her, you need to give her a follow. She's amazing. Sit down, put pen to get paper together. Um, a 22% cut to the VA looks like 81,000 Veterans Health Administration jobs cut. Reduces funding uh, radically for rural telehealth. So, you know, all those right-wingers out there, those Republican voters, those veterans are getting screwed. Cuts 6,000 benefits jobs, increasing wait times for health care. 
Remember how hard we worked to get those wait times down? Yeah, this brings all that nightmare back immediately, instantly. Cuts $565 million for clinic construction. Yeah, talk about having to travel farther for health care. Talking about having longer wait times for health care. Just screwing the VA. And this is just the VA we're talking about, folks. Just the 22% cut to the VA. This is across the board to transportation, the FDA, health care. I'll talk more about the FDA here in a minute. Cuts 500 jobs from the cemetery service and delays the opening of five new facilities. Yeah, a lot of veterans don't have a lot of disposable income, especially in their later years. So funerals are expensive, and there are VA benefits to help with that that are just going to evaporate. Cuts housing for 50,000 veterans, housing assistance for 50,000 veterans. You know, the old folks that, that need care, just gone, just, just gone. Cuts food assistance for veterans. Deep cuts to mental health care. Wow. I mean, really, folks, wow. this, this is something sick. that we have realized in late with the OxyContin uh, disaster, the PTSD, folks coming home from Iraq and, and Afghanistan. The, the VA has been not fast enough, but actually working towards beefing up their, their health care for veterans that desperately need it. And this proposal from McCarthy just takes an axe to it. Just takes an axe to it. Just deep cuts to mental health. Eliminates job training fuck. for homeless veterans. You guys yeah. voted for these motherfuckers. Veterans become homeless, folks. Idiots. Veterans have high instances of, be behind of bars. drug addiction. All kinds of problems. And the government is working to help them out, to help them get into jobs, help them get off the street. And this is just a straight 22% across the board cut to the VA. I mean, just just the entire VA budget just hacked off by 22%. And that's just the VA we're talking about. There's more to it. I mean, this is draconian. But worse... It cripples the economy. You know, taking tax money and putting it back into the economy is huge, folks. It is huge. And if you just slash that across the board, you're just kneecapping our own economy. It's insane. It's insane. I mean, it's so radical, it has the left and the right saying it's insane. The only people that are going along with it are, are the Marjorie Trader Greens and the rest of these radicals that have taken over the Republican Party. And, and, you know, folks, we need to talk. McCarthy is not a speaker. There's so many people on the right that I hear comparing this situation to John Boehner and Obama. John Boehner had control of his caucus. He had these radicals. He did, but he wasn't weak. Like McCarthy. He used to call them out. He called them the knuckleheads. You know, that's what he used to call them. He called them the knuckleheads. And you could you could negotiate with John Boehner in good faith. He didn't have good ideas. But that's how the sausage was made. And Obama sat down with the Speaker of the House, John Boehner, and they hammered out 
an agreement over the debt ceiling, which I think was wrong, folks, and I'll go into that in a minute. But at least they could work together, even if the outcome wasn't great. You can't even do that with Kevin McCarthy because you cannot trust him. He has no control over his, his caucus. Over and over again, they try to negotiate with these, these lunatics, and they end up not voting for what they agree on. It's just useless. And folks, it's not just the VA. I mean, when was the last time you went and cooked yourself a nice medium rare steak and was afraid it was going to kill you? You were afraid of meat at your grocery store. Folks, that's the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Meat and medicine, that's what they do. That's what they do. When was the last time you went to give your, your, your kid had a fever? You were scared the medicine that you were giving your kid was going to kill him. You know, things like that used to happen before the FDA. Before the government got involved. You know, all these writers keep talking about the government's bad. No, hell, hell, the hell it is. The hell it is. I don't worry about giving my grandchildren medic medicine when they need it. I don't worry about that. Why? The government. The government. The FDA. And these lunatics at a time when we've got the largest population we've ever known wants to take a hatchet and a machete and an axe and a meat grinder and carve up the FDA's budget. No. 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 We will find other ways to pay our bills. And that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. Paying our bills. The debt ceiling was put in place, just a little cliff notes on that. I really want you to go look at politics, girls' video on this. But the debt ceiling was put in place because years and years and years ago, back in the old West days, it took months, weeks and months, for a lot of representatives to travel to Washington, D.C. And a lot of damage could be done that quickly, even though they didn't have modern technology, modern word processors and printers and whatnot, you could, you could put some bills out pretty damn quick. So they had a debt ceiling in place that said you can only do so much damage. That's useless today, folks. That's useless. You can be in D.C. in hours from anywhere, anywhere in this country. And the government will pay for your travel. You know, I mean, it's, it, this bill, the, the entire concept of the debt ceiling is done. It is just a blackmail device that no one ever could have imagined it would be used this way. No one, no one, when this device was invented, believed that there would be a political party that would blackmail our own country. That would assure the destruction and downfall of our own country by defaulting on our own debts. No one believed that that was was possible, yet here we are with Republicans. Folks, vote the Republican Party out of existence. And this all goes away. All of this drama goes away. We will eliminate the debt ceiling and we will sit down and we will negotiate bills. All the drama will go away. Another opposition party will spring up. You know, we Democrats are not authoritarians like the Republicans. When I say vote the Republican Party out of existence, I don't mean that I just want, you know, a Democrat, or we will have just a Democrat authoritarian party. We will not. When the Republicans go away, another opposition party will spring up in its place. 
a healthy party, which is what we need as Democrats. We need a check on us. We know that. What do Republicans want? They want fascists. They want one-party rule. We are better than them. We are better than them. Vote the Republican Party out of existence, and this drama goes away. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. As old Texas Paul. Love you. Share this video. Help out Midas if you can. Love you, folks. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Let's see. Comments about suspend. I don't think we should wait until twenty four to spend the entire Republican Party. Republican for cheating. This party of, this party, party of traitors. Charge. Remove them all from office now. Can't wait. Ready. A seditious. Put up with this fucking party of traitors.
Suspend the entire fucking party. Republican Party. Party. For cheating. In elections. Okay, so at any rate, one year ago, perjury, traitor, green, a re-election challenge, hearing, of stuff in GOP's worst nightmare, new secret weapon to stop, latest Republican scheme surges into spotlight, politics girl, one hour I mean, ago. they get 35 state legislatures, they could change the constitution, like, this is like ridiculous, yeah. you know? And I don't want to freak people out, but, like, it's true. Politics, 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 girl. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. For too long, Democrats have ignored the power of the states. Over the past 40 years, while Republicans invested billions of dollars and focused energy into building and holding state governing majorities, Democrats focused the majority of their attention and money on national races. And while we've spent a gross amount of time focusing on the federal government, which of course we need to do, we are now seeing that the people who have arguably more power over our daily lives are the people who run our states, and more specifically, our state legislatures. If you listened to last week's pod, you know that the Tenth Amendment, the final amendment of the Bill of Rights, says that if it's not listed in the Constitution as a federal power, or if it's not something the Constitution explicitly says the states can't do, then whatever it is, is up to the states, which gives state leadership an almost infinite amount of things they have control over. So the Republicans, knowing they were losing the majority will of the people around the country and that their policies and positions were no longer popular, made the strategic choice, along with their donors and backers, to target their attention on the states and the courts, where they had a better chance of dictating their will onto the people without necessarily having the majority support of those same people. You only have to look around the country right now to see that those efforts have paid off tenfold. The Republican investment in state legislatures has resulted in certain Republican lawmakers having almost unchecked and absolute power at the state level, including the ability to redraw district lines to make it nearly impossible to vote them out. This is how Florida and Texas and Tennessee and Oklahoma, Mississippi and Arkansas are able to flood their states with new and unwanted, unpopular laws. If the Tenth Amendment was a major check on the power of the federal government, it was also an overlooked opportunity for the states to have almost unfettered power. And in the wrong hands, this unchecked influence has been an absolute disaster for human rights, civil rights, and democracy. If we don't turn this around, we're going to lose far more than what our children can be taught in school. We're going to lose our democracy. So this is what we're talking about today. The power of the states and how essential it is we really hone in on state races and state legislatures, even in off-election years. This is a solution-based podcast. I want you to come out of it fired up and knowing that you can make a difference. 
a lot of what's happening right now makes people feel scared and hopeless. And I know that when you feel that way, the instinct is to check out. I want this conversation to dial you back in. We can fix this. It's just going to take effort. With that in mind, my guest today is Melissa Walker, head of Giving Circles at the States Project. A graduate of Vassar College, former magazine editor and author of 10 novels, Melissa felt she had to do something to help her country, and she turned her talents towards the States Project to shift the balance of power in state legislatures and make democratic state legislative campaigns more effective and better funded. The States Project believes that the strongest force for change in America are our legislatures. So they have made their entire focus winning governing majorities in those often overlooked and underfunded races. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, author, editor, and head of the States Project's Giving Circles, Melissa Walker. Welcome back, Melissa. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you again. I mean, you were here with us about a year ago talking about this very strategic focus on state legislatures as a winning strategy for democracy around the country. And you got... I am getting more and more afraid about the violent rhetoric coming from the top of the Republican Party, from, yes. from Trump himself. And being echoed all the bottom. Yeah, and, and let me be be clear. I, I don't state legislatures as a winning strategy for democracy around the country. And you guys had some major successes in the midterms because of that focus. So can you tell me a little about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we focus on state legislatures at the States Project because we believe that they are the absolute power lever on change in this country and foundational change. There are 50 mini congresses that many of us overlook again and again, and most people don't even know who their state representatives are. But these are the people who are in the headlines for doing some of the most egregious things and some of the most wonderful things for the people of their states and also for the people of our country, because state legislation goes from state to state to state to federal. So when we start to look at these power centers, we can really see a place to make a difference. And in 2022, our organization was able to do that in many of our target states. Um, as the largest funders in both Minnesota and Michigan last cycle, we powered new trifectas in both states, which means that Democrats now hold the state house, state Senate, and governorship. And it's been incredible to watch how quickly policies are changing in those states. Delivering those trifectas improves millions of lives. And in Pennsylvania, where we invested 80 times more than the next largest group, we helped shift control of the House for the first time in 12 years. That shift in control in Harrisburg helps lawmakers block harmful right-wing policies, and the new House majority elected Joanna McClinton to serve as Speaker of the House. She is the first woman and only second Black person to hold this position. So it's also about changing who's at the table in state capitals. We defended majorities in Maine, Nevada, Colorado, and Minnesota, prevented supermajorities in North Carolina, Nebraska, and Wisconsin, and held ground in both chambers in Arizona, where we are only one seat away in each chamber from a new majority. This is, I mean, this is incredible stuff. I think people need to understand. I mean, we've read the headlines lately where we see one Democrat who said they were a Democrat and all of a sudden they flipped to be a Republican. Now they have a Republican majority that they didn't have before. People don't realize how important one seat in the state legislature is, how important that having a Democratic Senate instead of if you have a Republican House 
can hold back some of the worst, most egregious laws that they want to pass. And sometimes it just is one or two people that hold up the whole show. I know that there's been just story after story of this happening. And, and what you're talking about with Michigan, I mean, Michigan state legislature has to feel like such a major win for you guys, because I think people should understand that the state's project doesn't focus on every single state. They have a very specific data-backed strategy to see where they have the best chance to make a difference and where they can really crack away at making a change. And sometimes that's not winning a house. It's just holding back a majority or it's holding back a super majority. Um, I know you focused on 18 states for the 2022 elections. You actively raised for eight states. And two of those states you just mentioned, Michigan, the state legislature, like you said, it's a trifecta now, clean sweep, state races, legislature, but also, you know, governor, attorney general, all of that. And then because of that, Michigan has just voted to amend the state's civil rights to ban discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. They voted to repeal a 1931 law criminalizing abortion drugs after the Michigan voters overwhelmingly voted uh, to enshrine the right to abortion into the Constitution. They reversed the right to work law from 2012 that the Republicans have put in so that unions can do what unions are supposed to do and protect their workers. They voted to reestablish a prevailing wage law that would require contractors on state projects to pay workers with union-level compensation and benefits. They restored tax exemptions for pensioners and the earned income tax credit so working families can save money. And finally, after that shooting that just happened in Michigan State, they passed a whole slew of gun provisions, right? Including extended background checks and safe storage laws and red flag laws. And this is what can happen with state legislatures. And we see this all the time working against human rights, but it, when we see it working in action and we can feel the accomplishments of it, I think it should really fire people up. That's absolutely true. And imagine all of that got done in the beginning of one session. It is incredible how quickly policies change when we shift these majorities. And by the way, both chambers of the Michigan House were won by fewer than 400 votes. So <gasps> this is a place oh where the margins are so slim. We were involved in 59 races in 2022 that were decided by fewer than a thousand votes. Some of those were losses, most of them were wins. But it is incredible to look at these margins and think about things. Um, in Minnesota, 161 voters in one district flipped the Minnesota Senate, and that has made possible protecting Reproductive Options Act, which immediately enshrines the right to abortion into Minnesota law. Minnesota is the first state in the post-Roe era to enact a policy like that that protects the right to an abortion. And it's also critical for the surrounding states, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin. They have existing abortion bans. So imagine that flipping this one seat in the state Senate protects abortion for millions and millions of women. I mean, talk about a power center to focus on. Michigan, Minnesota has also passed bipartisan tax cuts. They have cut taxes for retirees. They have passed an ambitious clean energy standard to achieve 100% carbon-free electricity by 2040. And voting rights. The largest voting right expansion in the state in half a century happened through a law that will permit felons to vote again upon leaving jail or prison. That restores the right to 50,000, the right to vote to 50,000 Minnesotans. Universal school meals. I don't know if you saw this video that went viral, but watching the governor sign what the legislature did into law, providing breakfast and lunches at no charge to students, watching students rush over and hug him as he signed that bill, 
our staff got teary watching that happen because we knew that our intervention had really made that possible. And it's honestly incredible. And it gives me so much hope do this work and to know that this is the exact right place to focus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was looking at Minnesota too, because I mean, all these voting rights that are being enshrined into law and that the governor is signing and just transparency, you know, being able to like see what your government is doing. This is so essential. And like you said, with what's happening and how fast it can happen, um, I mean, the Democratic controlled Minnesota legislature has passed more bills. They passed more bills in January than the previous six Januaries combined under Republican control, right? Like, so they're getting so much done and the things that the people are asking for, the people want, the people say, here's what we want. And you at the States Project and all the people that worked on the ground for these races that most people overlook are giving the people what they actually want. And that's what we really need to focus on. Even if we weren't really paying attention to state legislatures before, now, with the Republicans increasingly taking more and more extreme positions coming out of the legislatures, especially on social issues, we're really starting to see the power of state legislatures in action. You know, Republican state legislatures around the country are currently like it looks like they're on a free-for-all of rolling back laws and freedoms at this kind of breakneck pace. And it's clearly something we need to be countering. And we can see it every day in the headlines, what's going on. I mean, look at what just happened in Tennessee, right? The first official act of the Republican-controlled Tennessee state legislature after six people were murdered at a Catholic day school was to take retaliatory action against Democratic representatives who called for gun reform, right? This is what legislatures can do. And we need to be countering it at every turn. That's absolutely true. And the truth is that in many cases, I mean, they know these policies don't make sense and they count on the non-accountability of gerrymandering yep. and also on the lack of a spotlight that we all have on our state capitals because the national media is trained on Washington, D.C. And so are we. I'll be honest, if you had asked me in the fall of 2016 who my state representatives were, I didn't know. I didn't have eyes on Albany. And I feel like I've been in grad school for state ledge since then because I've turned to this work. But it has given me so much hope because when we watch what goes on in Washington, D.C., and we watch things stall and not get passed and, you know, get watered down, what we can see is that real change happens in state legislatures, for better or worse, and sets the stage for what happens at the federal level. And, you know, in a place like Arizona, where we are one seat away in each chamber from a tie and shifting power, Republican lawmakers there don't want you to know what they're doing. They're trying to pass a bill that would make it less transparent, that would help, that would keep the public from finding out what laws they are passing. I mean, this is the kind of thing that when they hold majorities, they can start to do unless we keep a spotlight trained there. I was so thrilled to see the national spotlight on Tennessee because I think it galvanized people and I think it woke a lot of people up to what is happening in state capitals. And to be honest, our team, when moments like fall of Roe, we know that that's a terrible thing for the country and it's going to bring a lot more attention to state legislatures where we have to focus in order to shore up the foundations of our country and the fundamental rights that we all believe in. Yeah, and I think what it comes down to is what you were saying before, like some of these state legislatures are just, it's one seat that makes all the difference and one seat that's like less than 400 votes. And if people want to know if their vote counts, like for goodness sakes, your vote counts, especially in a state legislature race, especially if you get five of your friends to come out. You want hope? 
focus on these races. You know, like if we look around the country right now and we can see that these far right states are more than willing to throw democracy out if they have to, whatever it takes to stay in charge and impose their will on others. And in many ways, I think they're making it about as miserable as possible for us because they're hoping, and this is my personal opinion, I think they're hoping people will move. You know, they're like, you don't like it, get out. But what happens is if people move, if they say, well, I'm under attack as a someone in the LGBTQIA community, or I'm under attack as a trans person, I'm under attack as a woman, I'm leaving this state. What happens is there's no one left to be those 161 votes that flip the seat. They're hoping that the people who oppose them will leave. And then they can solidify even more power because the actual federal system already favors the red states, already favors the small rural states, already favors them in the Senate. So the more state legislatures they can control, the more power they will ultimately have federally. And I think people really need to realize how interconnected it is. And part of these horrible, horrible laws that they're passing, I mean, state legislature in Missouri just pitched childhood marriage, you know, right after they defunded all libraries in the state, Montana's oh new legal definition of sex essentially erases trans and non-binary people from existence. Iowa has decided to stop paying for emergency contraception for rape victims. So now if you are raped in Iowa, they're not going to help you. They already won't allow you to have an abortion, but now they won't give you the morning after pill to prevent pregnancy in the first place, right? So this is nuts what they are able to do. We all know what's going on in Florida, but they're even attacking private companies in Florida now. They're taking Republican state legislatures and personally attacking private companies. And it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or an Independent. You should be like, that feels very un-American to do that. It doesn't matter how you feel about any social issues. Attacking a private company for not fundamentally agreeing with you is seriously problematic. So I think we have to look at the big picture and see what these red states are doing and say, okay, Where can I make a difference? And I think that's one of the most wonderful things about the States Project is that you guys are doing a lot of the background work to tell us where we should be focusing. So we're not wasting our time and our energy flapping our, you know, wings in the water. We can really go somewhere. Do you want to tell me about what you guys do and how you decide which states to work on and what we should be focusing on? Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. I mean, if if we say, hey, everyone should focus on state legislatures, the next question is, okay, well, how? I mean, there are thousands of state legislators across the country. And again, most people don't even know who their state legislators are. So how do we plug into the exact seats we need to shift power in certain states? And where do we decide to work? So that is where the States Project comes in. And we have a research team and a political team that does a deep dive, a 99 state chamber analysis, 99 because Nebraska is unicameral. And define unicameral for people that don't know. Of course. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know what that word meant before. Um, (laughs) Unicameral means there's a single chamber. So there's not a state senate and a state house, but just a single chamber. And, um, yeah, so there's a 99 state chamber analysis so that we can figure out, okay, where are the districts where we could shift power? And we're never in deep red districts. We're never in deep blue districts. But we do target those tipping point districts, the ones that we need to challenge and the ones that we need to defend because, of course, we're doing both at the same time with each election cycle and the numbers that we need to flip power because when majorities shift that's when policies change but we do all the research to guide people in that direction and they can choose from our target states a way to plug in and help us do that work i mean i think we need to acknowledge that people are busy and they are tapped out and they don't i mean they're just exhausted but i think 
the onslaught of what we see happening every day, I know people want to make a difference, but they don't want to waste their time or they don't want to waste their money and they want to invest in races that they know will truly make a difference. So this is an off year, what we call an off year because it's not technically an election year. So what kind of impact can people have if they get involved right now, which feels like, why would I, you know, why would I get involved right now? It's It's not even an election year. How can it help now? Yeah, well, you know, I will tell you that at our organization, we call it an odd year because there really are no off years. It's so true. Um, And there are actually state elections this year, and we are focused on Virginia, where the um, Republicans have a majority in the state house, which is called the House of Delegates, by two seats, and Democrats have a majority in the state Senate by two seats. And so it is incredibly close. And it really could go in either direction. And so we are working to defend the Senate and flip the House in Virginia. And the consequences of this are truly incredible because if the right wing is able to get a majority in the state Senate, they will have a trifecta. Again, that's control of the governor's mansion and and the House and the Senate. And they will essentially have unchecked power to do whatever they please. Especially since Governor Youngkin has been, you know, entirely on board with every single far right wish list thing you could ever want. That's absolutely right. You'll watch them roll back protections for LGBTQ plus folks. You'll watch them work on an abortion ban. You'll watch them defund public schools. I mean, these are the kinds of things that will happen if we lose the Senate in Virginia. So we're working to protect the Senate and also flip the House of Delegates because that would create um, a Democratic two chambers that would help block some of those worst policies and maybe even get some good stuff through. So Virginia is super high stakes and their elections are in November 2023. So that is one place where we're really focused. And I will also say that part of the issue here is that folks haven't focused on state legislatures, but also that people only participate in an election year. They only feel activated in an election year. So when you are able to just kind of do the steady work of tending to democracy, you'll know that in these odd years, that is the time to jumpstart recruitment in key districts, help hire key staff early on, or retain great staff from the past election cycle, and even begin the work of early voter contact. These are all tactics that can become game-changing when they're implemented early and ahead of an election year. So in 2021, we were able to help fund a deep canvassing program in Pennsylvania for the targeted house districts where we thought the most competitive seats would be. And that meant people going to door to door and listening to voters about what they wanted, what they cared about, what they were worried about. And that deep canvassing program turned into folks who became staff on the ground eight months later for the campaigns that were running in those districts. That early seating is huge and it had never been done before. And I just wanna remind you, we did flip the Pennsylvania house in 2022 with 12 seats, which was an extraordinary victory and even more than we expected. We thought it would take two cycles. So getting those 12 seats, and by the way, the last one was decided by 63 votes. The, baby the Pennsylvania House power shift was decided by 63 votes. So we're going to take a break talking about the states, and we're going to talk about our sheets. Today's pod is sponsored by Miracle Made Sheets. Did you know that traditional bed sheets can retain more bacteria than a toilet seat? I did not, and I find that information disgusting. And that's probably why people can get acne or allergies or stuffy noses from their bed. These are things I wish I didn't know, but now I'm glad I do. 
getting in early. I often tell people that if you care about a race, don't do one big donation right close to the election. You know, do a smaller series, follow Generation Y wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. And now, back to the States. This podcast is doing a whole series right now called Road to 24. And a lot of it is about the importance of getting in early. I often tell people that if you care about a race, don't do one big donation right close to the election. You know, do a smaller reoccurring donation for as long as you can leading up to it because it allows candidates to plan their attack. It allows them to hire staff. It allows them to know what they have coming in and be strategic about how they spend their money. And you guys at the States Project are incredibly strategic. I love your organization. You are ahead of the game because you do plan out your attack because you do the homework for us. You know which races, which seats, which states we need to be focusing on. And then people can come out there and really know their making an actual difference. I mean, you've always been incredibly clear that the impact people can make at the state level is just not possible at the federal level. You guys are often pointing out that it can be cheaper and easier to flip an entire state chamber than it is to win a single congressional seat. So when you are properly organized by groups like yours, when we say, okay, what can we do to help? Then we're making strategic decisions about which districts and seats we should be investing in. And we're proving that it works with these democratic majorities that we are now seeing in places we didn't have them before and places that would have had Republican majorities or would have had Republican supermajorities, And they would have stripped us of our democracy. And we have held that back with the early work you guys are doing. So I think it's so essential. I know that we can see from an off-year election, or as you say, an odd-year election, that an, an election like was in the spring for Janet Protosiewicz for the Supreme Court, you know, in Wisconsin. Like, people are not paying attention to random Supreme Court, and yet, this year, people were like, wait, I can see why that is a bigger deal. I can see why this one seat on this one court is going to make a difference to the entire country, not just to women's rights, but to the entire country's democracy. And I think people need to start thinking that there's never an off year in American elections. Democracy is literally on the ballot every month. And what can we do to hold it up? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's really why we run a Giving Circles program, to give people a really tangible way to plug in. And our Giving Circles are groups of friends and family and neighbors, and they're usually led by the person who wrangles the book club or keeps everyone on task at the potluck. They're, they're leaders who organize, and they've been organizing other things for a long time, and they can do this too. Because when you make a list of friends, family, or the people on your text chain, anyone who wants to do something, anyone who's upset who's fearful, or who's inspired and motivated. You know, we know that people really do want to get involved. They're just not quite sure what's impactful. So when people sign up to do a Giving Circle of the States project, we hand them sample language, videos, and other supports like this podcast to reach out to folks and explain what we're working on. And Giving Circle leaders bring their own words of why it matters to them, their story. And we just did a storytelling training with our Giving Circle leaders yesterday, actually, and it was wonderful. We give people all the tools they need to bring together their community and focus their resources into targeted, strategic, and not shiny object political giving. Because we often end up with races that have millions and millions and millions of dollars. The well-spotlit races are incredibly overfunded. And these races often end up at the short end of the stick without enough resources. And so when we're able to guide our friends and our family and our networks to strategic political giving, 
It is a gift. I always tell Giving Circle leaders, this is not an ask. This is an opportunity for the people in your life to have a political impact that they did not know was possible. Because that's what it felt like to me when I started my Giving Circle. I started to understand that I had so much more power than I realized. And I started to understand that when I focused on this specific axis of power, the state legislature, which, which controls all those kitchen table issues that we've mentioned earlier, yeah. and also happens to control federal power by deciding voting rights and who can vote and when and how in their state. And what districts look like and how the district lines are drawn. Exactly. It is such a power center. We did a podcast, um, I was saying in the introduction, we did a podcast last week where we talked about the amendments and how if it's not specifically said to be a federal amendment and they don't specifically say the states can't do it, it's basically a free-for-all for state legislatures to do whatever they want. There isn't the same check that there is on the federal government on the states, which is why they're allowed to get away with passing laws to inspect children's genitalia or denying interfaith or interracial marriages or banning books and history and, you know, making certain people just their existence a crime or taking control of people's children and taking them into state control. You think, what is happening here? But what's happening is the states don't have the same checks and balances the federal government does, which means we have to be very specific about who gets to be a state legislator. And we need to be really careful because ultimately it's going to affect those big races that you talk about. It's going to affect, you know, who gets to be the president, who gets to be in Congress, which kind of brings me back to that highly controversial independent state legislature theory, which it made its way all the way to the Supreme Court in the Moore v. Harper case that was uh, argued last winter, and we still haven't heard a verdict from it. And the argument of this case, if people don't know about Moore v. Harper, is that the state legislators, not the voters, should be the ones who get to determine who becomes president via the Electoral College. So the state legislatures are the ones with the power to simply award the state's electoral votes to whomever they want, not to the winner of the popular vote, which is how we assume it is done now. And we are waiting to hear that decision. So if it goes the wrong way, we could have state legislators deciding, oh, well, the Democrat won the popular vote in my state, but eh, I would rather send the electors to vote for Trump. And that could happen. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't. I hope not. But it could, which gives us just one more reason to make sure that Democrats and people who believe in democracy and people who believe in human rights and the rule of law are the ones in charge of our state legislators. Absolutely. It is It is absolutely wild. And I, and I often say this three-part thing, which is if you care about Congress, you should care about state legislatures because they draw the district lines that decide who goes to Congress. And if you care about the Supreme Court, you should care about state legislatures because the Supreme Court doesn't write laws. They rule on laws that are coming out of state legislatures. Mm -hmm. And if you care about the presidency, you should care about state legislatures for the exact reason that you just stated. There is a path to a coup here, and it runs directly through state legislatures. And that is by design. The right wing has been working on state legislatures for decades. While we stared at Washington, D.C. and felt good about the direction our country was headed in, mostly, at least during the Obama years. It was under those years that things like the standard round gun laws proliferated from state to state to state after Trayvon Martin's murderer. And it all started in Florida, right? Lawmakers in Tallahassee whose names I don't know. So things like that untouched by Washington. And the other thing is that even when federal laws pass, things like the Affordable Care Act, there's still a bunch of states that haven't expanded Medicaid. Yeah. And with COVID relief funds, 
State legislatures decide how to spend those funds, and they spend them in wildly different ways depending on who's in power in the state capital. So there are enormous effects of this, and I think sometimes it feels incredibly overwhelming.